0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast here with my good friend, Scott Lease and my other super good friend, Mr. Max Altshuler, uh, you know, worldwide, worldwide renowned sales hacker, uh, entrepreneur, mini VC, uh, and of course, uh, outreach uh, marketing genius. So, Max, thanks for joining us
1: today. We appreciate it. Thanks for the warm welcome great to be here yeah, yeah.
0: you you yeah. forgot
2: a, acclaimed world traveler and, and photographer
1: that's oh that's that. true oh yeah, oh, yeah.
2: i kind of yeah. i kind of want how many Max countries to now on the road
1: in a past life yeah i didn't mean, you know right now i'm not on the road obviously circumstantial uh circumstances call for staying indoors but um with a with a baby now i'm not sure how much i'm going to be able to get outside the country and you know get to all these places again so We'll, uh, we'll see. So, Maybe we take her on a safari in a couple of years.
0: So let me, let me ask you a question, Max. So uh, how many times have you had to send your passport in to get more pages?
1: Uh,
0: he, he doesn't even know it's so times, many times.
1: Probably, yeah. Uh, I think four times since 2010
0: and, or 2009. All right. And, and are you at the stage of your counting how many countries you've been to or how many countries how many you still so have left. left to go to?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> been to been to yeah i mean i i never really counted until i think like one day i was stuck on a plane on a tarmac and i was like had no wi-fi and like oh, what am i gonna do so i just took out a notepad and started and uh i uh realized i was at like 78 since then i added two more wow. i'm at 80 right now um, what, which feels like a good number what, it was a good number to like kind of stop at for a little while because with the kid uh, what what's been the, most, what's
0: been the most what's been the most unexpected interesting thing like i know you've been to a lot of the popular places right but what's one of those sort of off the beaten path places that you've gone to that just sort so i'll of tell you the most really unexpected
1: interesting yeah i'll tell you the most unexpected interesting thing and then i'll tell you a place thing is um how awesome people are and you know, you, if you like sit on twitter and read the news you think that like, people are pretty awful because um, in general that's all you hear it's like doom and gloom and there have been so many situations where like people have just been really amazing. Like they, they take you in and, you know, show you open, like open up their world to you. Like they they you meet your meet their families, you meet their friends. I mean, we had these, these girls in South Africa when we were down there at, at, for the World Cup. We were staying at some crummy hostel that they overpacked with like beds because they were taking advantage of the crowd that was in for the World Cup. And we met these girls and they were just like, come stay with us. Like we have a guest house you can stay in. It was amazing. They, like, put us up. We met their families. We ate dinner with their families. Like, they took care of us. And that was pretty incredible. I met people in, um, when I was in Peru, I met a couple people in Australia that uh, that they were living in, uh, they were from Perth. Like, when am I ever going to get to Perth? Like, it's so off the beaten path in Australia. It's like going to Sydney and then taking another, like, five-hour flight all the way across the country to go to this one little city that, like, has nothing else in it. And I was backpacking to Australia, and I figured, why not I'd go to Perth? And I, I hit them up like, a year and a half after I had met them. I think we had hung out for, like, one night in in Peru. And, you know, I expected, like, uh, hey, you know, we'll, we'll meet up for a drink or something like that. These girls are so nice. They essentially, like, take me in, put me up. Don't stay at a hostel. Come stay with us. They show me around. They take me to all the places. Like, took off work for me for, like, five days. It was pretty incredible. So, I think, like, people in general, uh, a lot of times I was just, like, you know what? i I was in a weird place in my life i before I started traveling I had um been in two triple homicides two years in a row as like an innocent bystander so like I was kind of just like, you know what's the worst that could happen to me if i'm getting if these things are happening in the United States like I'll just go anywhere and do anything and I kind of just let like put it put it to the wind precaution to the wind, let the spirits guide me type thing and uh I think in a lot of ways, you know, that kind of saved me. Um, But also just seeing how amazing people were. That was like the thing that I point to that was pretty incredible that I learned. Place? Um, Well, it depends where you are in your life. Uh, These days, I'm a little more bougie. And so Tokyo is like, uh, you know, everything about that place is, is amazing to me. Every type of food you eat is incredible. And it's super minimalist. So my OCD feels right at home there. Um, if you look at a picture of Tokyo, you'd be like, this is not minimal, but everything you go into is like super clean, all wood, white and black, no funky colors, nothing like that. Nothing, nothing that doesn't need to be there. Um, but if you were talking to me when I was, uh, backpacking and if you want to know more about that, I think Peru is pretty incredible. You get like the best of everything in Peru. You get the beaches, you go up to Mancora, you get a little surf town, you go inland to Iquitos. Rurumbake. You've got the Amazon. You go down to Lima, and like I could completely move my family and live in, in Lima. It's such an. Nice then you got the mountains. You've got you know the Mayan ruins and all that. Uh, it's just an incredible country, and people are really nice. So Peru was, was top of my list. Very cool.
0: That's awesome. Can There's you, a, or if you're, if you're comfortable about it, um, I mean, you brought something I didn't know. Been shocking to me about these two incidents as you, you witness. Um, what happened? I mean, are you, are you, if you're not comfortable or you can't, that's okay, but I'm, I'm just curious what that was like. Yeah,
1: no, I was a student at Arizona State my freshman year. Um, we were walking home maybe like two in the morning after the bars just closed. And uh, I guess there was a bar fight at a bar maybe like a mile down the street, less than a mile, maybe half a mile down the street. And the uh, two cars peeled out of the parking lot coming in our direction. They were shooting each other. And so we got, we hit the ground, bullets hit the wall behind us. And then uh, one of the cars essentially like rolled to the side and there were three dead people in it. And so the cops showed up and they caught the people. um, You know, I had to get the post for it. Didn't remember much. I mean, we, it was a normal night. We were out drinking. It was probably Friday or Saturday night. I'd imagine they were out drinking at the bar, got in a little bar fight and it spilled out into you know, the parking lot and so on and so on. So, uh, you know, that was one. And then the the second one was a bit harder. It was a year later. And, um, some guy, uh, killed two of my friends and himself and, uh, you know, that Mm. was, that was pretty crazy. So that was my freshman and, and sophomore year at Arizona state had a great time otherwise, but those things were pretty traumatic. And so, um, my junior year, I went and studied abroad in Barcelona, which one, I was studying architecture at the time, which, you know, if you've been to Barcelona, it's an amazing architecture city. Um, but two, I think I just needed to get away. And before I went to Spain, I ended up doing three months in Costa Rica because I found this program where I can go learn some Spanish and I just wanted to get away again. So I did uh, San Jose, Costa Rica with a host family for three months. then went to Spain for a year. And then that, um, that kind of gave me the travel bug. Uh, got to see the world, got to understand a lot of different cultures. Um, I'm a a big foodie. So, you know, I, I I indulge everywhere I go and um, also just like love people. I mean, I'm in sales. That's what I do for a career now and it makes total sense, but like understanding other cultures. What made you
2: switch from architecture? What made you switch from architecture to the sales? Yeah. That's a, not a common, you know, departure.
1: My, My junior year was 07, 08. Housing market crashed. So, you know, I'm sitting there with a five, you know, looking down the barrel of a five-year degree with potentially no jobs on the horizon. Um, But the the root of wanting to be an architect was that I love building. I like creating. And same thing about, you know, entrepreneurship. Uh, Yeah, I I think like one of the things I really, I'm I'm coin-operated. I like making money. I don't know if that's like my... My upbringing or whatever, son of a financial advisor, you know, Jewish, whatever stereotype you want to put there, but like that coin operated has always been, you know, interesting to me. I always, I always have these like random entrepreneurial endeavors growing up where I'd get a, my dad would get a phone call from the principal because I was selling my Halloween candy on the school bus or something like that, like <laughs> things like that. And I was like elementary or like middle school, you know, you, you get the. uh, you get the student uh, shop money where you can go buy pencil erasers and, uh, you know, pencil sharpeners and, and notepads and stuff like that. And instead of the kids were, were giving me the money for, you know, Skittles and Milky Ways and things like that. So I've always had that in me. So it was a smooth transition from building houses and, and buildings to building businesses. And when I came back from Barcelona, I tried to get a bike share program up and running. Um, which is, you know, what they had in Barcelona and, and Paris at the time. They were the only two places. There was nothing like this in the United States. Now you have City Bike in a bunch of these different cities. Um, but this
2: would have do been you, the first one. In the do US. you still do you think that you're an entrepreneur, you know, for life? I know you're focused right now on, on continuing to yeah. grow outreach and doing an amazing job. But like, do you see yourself starting and founding, you know, one, two, three more companies over the course of your your life? A hundred percent.
1: Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. I was like, I want to, I want to make enough I had this number. I was like, I want to be worth 20 after taxes by age 30. So I can retire. Like then you get to like 30 and you're like, why would I want to retire? What the hell would I do with my life? What do I do with my time? There's only so much
2: golf you can play, right? (laughs)
1: Exactly. And like, even as we're in this like pandemic that we're going through right now with coronavirus, like I was thinking, look, I'm so, I'm so glad that like, what I do every day is also what I love and my hobby because I can't imagine like sitting in the corner of my house doing that like this preoccupies me in a way where I like I jump right in. My dad called me right before this call and he's one of his closest friends just got on a ventilator, which is, you know, not a good situation. So I'm worried for my dad. They're in New York. Like it's not a great place to be right now. It's, it's the, the place where it's growing the fastest, but I can't imagine if I, did, if I didn't love what I did because as soon as I get on this call with you guys, I like, I get out of it. Like I thought, I love this. And so I I'll build, I don't know what I'll build. I don't know if it'll always be tech. You know, I want to, mm-hmm. I want to have a farm one day. I want to have like maybe potentially a vineyard or something like that. I love nature. I'd love to be out and, you know, find something with that. Uh, I always want to stay close to tech because, you know, I, I geek out on this stuff and I'm pretty good at it, but um yeah, at the end of the day, I'm a builder to my roots. You know,
2: how much how much more equipped do you feel now than than a few years ago when you first started sales hacker?
1: Oh you feel my like God. you you
2: feel you feel like you sales hacker and you got like a master's degree now.
1: Yeah, I, you know what? I'm still learning so much every day, and I think like the acquisition for outreach was um, amazing from a lot of perspectives, but from a learning angle, like I'm just seeing so much around how the sausage is made and how VCs think, how the board thinks, how CEOs act, how leadership acts, how companies run, uh, you know, from the inside. And in a lot of cases it's outreach, but in some other cases it's how other companies are running. Like I've got really good access into, you know, a lot of what the best companies are doing. And also what the, the worst companies are doing So I can, you can learn from both both angles. Uh, what are the things you've this, walked away with just out of curiosity,
0: like just from what, you know, for the, for those leaders, You know, for those other leaders who are listening, those early stage, you know, CEOs or even, you know, expansion stage CEOs, what are some of the things that you've been like, oh, I didn't know that. When you think about from that acquisition point of view, from that acquisition point of view by outreach, like, oh, these are three things I really learned that were really cool for me to understand now. You're going to pass that advice to somebody.
1: Yeah, you know, it's I think in SaaS there there are quite a few things you can, there are already playbooks for. But it's interesting how many there are not. And I I always just thought, like, once you hit a certain level, like, there was just a playbook. Like, oh, we don't know the answer to this. Why don't we just ask our VCs what these companies are doing? And just because it's working for somebody else doesn't mean it's going to work for you. You still have to, like, find your own way. There's still some navigating to do. There are things that, like, you know, I would typically try and do a lot faster that we move slow on. And almost every time, I'm wrong. Almost every time I'm like, okay, I I understand. I've like what? I some, give give people slower. some tactical. Um, yeah, I, I
0: think every entrepreneur feels that, particularly every startup SaaS world feels that. Got to go fast. Got to go fast. Be first.
1: Be first. You know, what, yeah, what would, I think. What like, have you
0: seen? I think
1: doing it right is better than doing it fast in a lot of cases. And I think as you scale, it's more important. Um, and the early stages, you know, it's kind of like what is it? Um, move fast and break stuff or you know, fail fast or whatever. And, you know, I agree with that to a certain extent, especially in the earlier stages, you kind of have to see what's working, see what's not everybody's stage appropriate. But once you get to a level of scale and especially where outreach is right now, like let's say hundred million ARR, it's not, you're not like, you're no longer sticking bubble gum in the hole and saying I'll patch that up later. or Like, Oh, you know, I'm going to hold this thing together with, you know, scotch tape and, and dental floss for now. Like you actually have to start building infrastructure that's going to last like very, very long into the future. And I think to get to that point, you have to have that mentality where it's like, there's a leak. Um, I can't just like stick my finger in it. we got some bubble gum. I'll just, I'll stick that in there for now. And then at a certain point you'll fix it. You'll, you'll get to the, if you're lucky, you'll get to the point where you could be able to fix it. And I right. think we're at that point now where it's like, okay, well, we you know, we have to make sure we're, we're patching things up and, and like we're fixed. So transitioning from when when you think about the sales hacker acquisition to the outreach acquisition, transitioning from my previous mindset, which is like patch it up when we have enough money or whatever time, we'll like we'll put a stronger fix in place. And at outreach now we're we're putting those stronger fixes in place. So it's like. You're not, you're no longer hiring somebody who's stage appropriate. You're hiring somebody who's, you know, in it for the long run. And this is back to a lot of stuff that you talk about, Scott. It's like if you're hiring a, if you're taking a VP of sales job at a series B company, the one year cliff at the four year vest is, is bullshit because you're yeah. probably stage appropriate. You're probably only going to be there for two years you're hiring me at 10 million ARR and you're telling me I'm going to take you to 30. If I take you to 30 in two years, I should get paid my full amount for the 20 that I took you in two years. But if you want to pay me on a one year cliff and a four year vest, then I'll take you to 30 in five years so I can get all my equity, but you're not going to be as happy because I could have done it three years sooner. And that's not really how the world works, but like, you know, it it kind of is what it is. Like if you hire people stage appropriate, that's what they do. I know a bunch of people who are great at one to 10. 1 million to 10 million ARR. Sales sales leaders. That's me. That's right. But like Richard. then they don't scale past 10. So but putting them on a comp, you know, situation for an equity vest where the 1 year cliff, 4 year vest, like if they haven't gotten you to 10 in, in 3 years, you're probably toast in some of these situations. So shouldn't you just give them all their equity when they hit 10 and then go get the guy who's going to do the the 10 to 50 or so whatever the next bucket is?
2: How how much of that from your perspective is um VC-led in in their um, resistance and inflexibility to that versus founder-led and just sticking to kind of
1: norms and it's whatnot. Status in- quo led. It's status quo-led. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody's enforcing it. I just think that like people are like, oh, that's not how it's been done before. Yeah. But honestly... And, right. then, and
2: I think there's not, there's not enough people challenging that particular status quo, Yeah. right? I mean, if, if every sales leader in, in, in the world was like, Okay, hell no. Like I'm not doing a four-year vest. I'm not going to yep. work because this is we're at zero right now. I'm going to get you to ten or twenty. It's going to take me two or three years, and for that, for doing that stage-appropriate job, I should get my full allocation of equity. If everybody said that, they wouldn't be able to hire anybody else, right? So, th- there, is there not well, enough education for us? Is there not enough distance? How do we how do we what? change this a
1: little bit? What founders and VCs need to remap out is what is the amount of equity they want to allocate to a VP of sales through a certain number. So instead of saying like, Oh, we're just, we're, we're going to give this person, you know, 1% and they have a, a one year cliff and a four year vest. And this, and that, in that time frame they're going to get us from point A to point B. It's like, all right, we're at, you know, let's say zero right now. We want to get to a hundred million how much equity do we want to allocate to a VP of sales to a hundred million and then break it down that way. So, you know, you're going to hire the person who's going to go, you know, zero to 10 then you're going to go 10 to 25, 25 to 50, 50 to hundred. And you're going to hire four different VP of sales and you have, you know, 5% total allotment for that VP of sales to get you to a hundred. These are just, you know, arbitrary numbers I'm making up right now, but like then yeah. back into what, what each person deserves to, to hit each level of scale, like the, zero to 10 person is probably going to get the most because they're taking the most risk, um, you know, so on and so on. So maybe they back into it that way and then they know exactly what they're getting and what they're giving away to get to a hundred.
0: Yeah. So I mean, does I that mean that you're on a, well. so, so Max does that mean you negotiated with Manny a two year vesting schedule?
1: Well, I have that anyway, because I, I have a two year earnout. out. So I'm just having a, a hard time. I have a two year <laughs> net was a third year option for. Uh, he's like, uh, like he's like yeah he's year. like yeah you son of a bitch I did yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah I wouldn't go anywhere right now on a fucking cliff. And I uh, and i, I the cursing show. But I wouldn't go anywhere right now on a. No cliff. it is. I don't do it I don't do any of my advisory on a cliff. All my advisory is a quarter or half a percent depending on the stage with a two year best vesting monthly no cliff. Uh, I'm an asset. Why would I go somewhere for free for a year? That's bullshit. Like, right. yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I, I I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not even
2: best. I'm not even investing in my, in my gigs right now. I'm getting right. Just, just cash options straight away. Yeah. C- cash, but like, oh, I, also, I, also oh, take, take, I also take equity, but it's
1: like instantaneously vested. It depends how right. much elbow grease you're putting in. Like if you are working for them, then that's one thing I'm, yeah. purely advisory. So like you you call me when you need something and I'll I'll get it done. So it's a little bit different. I haven't had any uh I've had I've had two advisories out of like probably thirty or so that have ended early. Um both companies went out of business. So nobody nobody's ever been happy in staying in business that um has ended an advisory early. I've had Once, just out of curiosity, we're in the middle of this
0: pandemic. I'm gonna shift a little bit again. Um, you know, I know I know lots of companies like Zoom and, and, and outreach are this has actually been um interesting because people are, are coming into these companies, right? Your your leads are growing, a lot of people need this level of engagement. I think we all know that the SDR role is gonna shift. We've known it's gonna shift for a while, but the over hiring of SDRs is going to shift and they're going to be in more of these engagement tools. Just out of curiosity, I was thinking about this this morning was, wow, if I were an SDR and was thinking something might change, I might go ask to move into customer success because for the next six to 12 months, that's where the real money is going to not, you know, the long-term strategy is how are you guys adjusting to this? Right. I I know you're hiring still. So um, we're still hiring. um, Yeah. I
1: mean, we're still, so we're in a unique situation so my advice isn't applicable to everybody but you know we raised 114 million last year so we have you know somewhere between one and 200 in the bank you know so like we're not we're not the type of company that's going to like freeze or anything right now uh we see this as an opportunity to accelerate ahead of the pack because they might be freezing, and so we, you know, we're continuing. R&D is still right. getting the investment, marketing, everything's still getting the investment. I think where we're, gonna, we're going to, if anything, like pause a little bit is emerging sales development, emerging sales, and then refocus that on customer success and um, I'd say enterprise and strategic accounts. Yeah, um, yeah Gainsight's poised very well for this <laughs> moment.
2: What is, yeah, I mean, can, I, can I can, I, pick, can yeah. I can I ask a follow up question on on the fact yeah, that you guys are are hiring right now? One of the things that I'm yeah. <clears throat> running into and being asked a lot of questions about right now is how am I going to train my new hires remotely? So I'm I'm curious what you guys have in place over there, and if you have any you know kind of best practices around remote training and onboarding of of staff. I, th- I think that. Is a, is a big reason, at least with what I'm hearing, a big reason why people are freezing their hiring. It's not so much that they can't, so they're just like, I don't know how to onboard anybody right now.
1: Well, you know, most a lot of stuff can be done over Zoom um, in terms of, like, education. We've got uh, Confluence and a couple different apps we use for training material, collateral, things like that that they, they need to dig into. Um, but, you know, we sell our product to salespeople, salespeople use it. So we hire people that have used outreach or we can train people pretty well on outreach virtually. Um, And then it just so happens that our product, our product helps that everything remote work hurts. And that 100% specifically includes ramping reps. So, you know, we can plug and play people pretty quickly right into outreach and they have all their sequences, all their content, all their snippets already queued up for them. They understand, if they understand their talk tracks and they get trained up on Zoom and they you know, speak to our other reps and, and things like that and they do a lot of um, role playing, they can get uh, pretty up to speed pretty quickly. We do pair them with solution consultants. Uh, so if there are like deeper technical questions, they can learn on the fly. by roping in solution consultants into the deal cycles when there are things that they don't know the answers to. Um, but you know, our our platform, Mixed with Zoom, pretty much creates an ideal environment for, you know, hiring remote reps. So I I would say that um, we're seeing a a good amount of inbound and a good amount of upsell from companies right now that are on the on the bigger side. We're still going to lose with the bottom. You know, when the bottom falls out, all these uh, these go out of business. We're still going to lose that. We'll, We'll see how that shakes out and if that bounces back at some point, but um you know we're 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 not having rep ramp problems i'd say internally and we're putting out a lot of content um, in the next few weeks um, around kind of work from home life remote life so it's inside sales teams that are now work from home it's field sales that are now inside or work from home it's um you know all the all the, the new things you need to do, and coming from empathy and things like that, when it comes to a situation like this, so there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of training and education that needs to be done here.
0: Yeah, I see I see it on the other end too. As I I have a particular company I'm working with that, that is Richard. We, we don't know how to do inside sales. We've we got to take our 500 sales reps inside, and you know any yeah they're still referencing it as a telesales company as a telesales. Right. We've got to turn our field reps into telesales. And I'm like, okay, first problem you have is you you don't get it. Like just straight up. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, okay, there's no difference. There really isn't. You know, maybe you got to learn how to position your camera and maybe you got to learn a couple things, but the conversation is still the same. Right. And they, they keep saying, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, how do you feel like this conversation is going? Like, oh, it's going great. Well, I'm not doing anything I, now that I wouldn't do in front of you. Like there's not a whole lot, you know? Uh, um, so, I think some people are overcomplicating this shift. Um, and I think for people like us, where we've been in inside sales, like I never wanted to be in outside sales. I did it one year and I thought, it was, oh, me neither. It was, yeah. a colossal, it was a colossal waste of time for me. Um, there are those of us who just get it. We're like, oh, all right, well, you know, what I'm focusing in on, you know, if I were someone like Outreach, is how do I keep the culture alive? How do I keep the sharing going? How do I keep that that sort of energy of being in the office together going forward? Yes, I still train. Yes, I still coach. But you know, yeah, there's a little bit of change to that because you gotta be mindful of schedules and time zones and that kind of stuff. But it it's it's way more logistical in my mind for someone like outreach than it is, you know, training and onboarding, right? Which because other yeah. people just don't get it. So, what are what are some you know, Max? One of the things you're really well known for is is you know what you did at Udemy, uh, and you just sort of hacked your way through this process, right? You sort of went and figured out all these tools, and you were like the first person to write this book about, oh, I use this tool for this and this tool for that. I mean, you you really are, you know, a godfather of these things, right? And you were in your early twenties. Uh, yeah. What are the tools you like today? What's new, right? You know you know you you mentioned this one confluence that I've never heard of what what are the tools you like today?
1: yeah confluence is just like part of like uh and Atlassian so it's you know it's like a Showpad pad or a high spot type stuff we We probably have to um figure out our plan from a uh content standpoint. We've got to hire out quite a bit in our in our sales enablement um, uh functions so you know if there's anybody listening we're hiring sales enablement, we got headcount open there. Um, so we got we to probably clean that up a little bit. Uh, our team is geeking out over the thing you shared the other day, that crisp.ai, by the way, yeah, uh, for the background yeah. noise. So uh, thanks so for that one. Yeah. Um, tools I like right now, Bombora uh, is really interesting. We've got a, a tight integration coming there, but it's, about, it's all about intent data, search data. So um, understanding what your buyers are interested in and, and capitalizing on those opportunities. So kind of right timing personal like it, it account prioritization type stuff. Um, I haven't seen uh six cents lately, but it's kind of in, you know, similar buckets like that intent. Um, so when that works, mm-hmm. it's really interesting. And for a long time, it got really hot in like, you know, sexy category in like 2015, 2016, but then it had this like this three year uh, down. We're just like, okay, well, that's cool in concept, but nobody's seen it work well. And I think it's making a comeback now because after like four or five years of toying with it, they're, they're starting to get it right. So I think that's an interesting but category you think to watch that, out for.
0: Don't you think that, yeah. that you know, the, the influence of, of, you know, if I were ahead of sales and it's like, oh, I could buy outreach or I could buy this intent data thing, which requires some thinking right, which requires me to it's digest something, nice, uh, interpreting, I mean, right, yeah. versus out, outreach, which is like, oh, yeah, let's just focus, and, and not that outreach has ever positioned themselves as a volume play, but that's, you know, the pressure that's being put on people, right, like, yeah, I, I think, other mean, you, people you tell me, what am I, you're finally getting yeah, smarter, yeah. right, like, I think that's what we're seeing.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the, so then what's the question, the question is, is the question, like, what would I, Buy if I had unlimited budget right now is a question. Like, what would what, what sure. do I advise founders to buy when you don't have unlimited budget? Is it just like what's super Why don't you do both? interesting that I saw lately? Yeah, like, um, because then there's there's the ultimate stack, you know, which is your needs that your mission critical, and then your nice to haves, and then there's the uh and then, and that could be, and then there's, the, and, a and lot, then there's, there's a, like, a lot of things. Like
2: super nerd power startup, user. Cool
1: yeah. stuff, Right. Yeah. 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 And then there's, I, you know, so what is Yeah. Go for it.
0: So what, what's what's in your mission critical these days, aside from, uh, outreach as an engagement platform. What else? Zoom, um, obviously.
1: You know, Outreach, Zoom, LinkedIn sales navigator and Salesforce, uh, uh, probably mission, mission critical stack right there. What um, else would be in my mission critical? Uh, that's probably the stripped down one. I'd say the next right. level after that is like the, you know, the Gong and Chorus bucket. There's the uh, intent data bucket. There's the um, high spot showpad seismic. Uh, um, you know that category of you know sales enablement. Uh open sense is you know signature tracking, which I think is is really interesting, really unique. Um we use it at outreach, it's not that expensive. We get a lot of bang for a buck out of that. Um, what else? What is drift and intercom? You know, we're we're uh use drift um at outreach. So those are like the, the mainstream kind of ones. We're looking at think some that- of like the Type things right now. I haven't seen something I geeked out on in a while um, in our our M and A, uh, you know, looking. So yeah, yeah.
0: I think you guys should buy Crisp. I think you guys should buy that tool. You know, or, or Zoom. Should. Yeah. Somebody should, right? Yeah. Um, so so here's my question. So what do you think? So it's interesting because you know there's always this. Well, what's the cost per rep for the stack, right? And you know I think you know at Sales Hacker we've written about it. Um, I think Grammarly, by the way, is another almost it's a must-have,
1: particularly yeah. if you've got work from home. Like Grammarly's I don't know if on like one. it's it's tough to to say what's a sales tool and like what what you know what's a productivity thing. Like what's a, a like tool? <laughs> right. Boom. right. Grammarly, like I Loom is something I've I've been geeking out on lately, but I wouldn't call it a sales tool per se. You know, it could be used for that. I guess you can use it as, you know, uh you know, kind of similar to like a vineyard if you really wanted to, but um, you know, short clip videos. Are, uh, you, like a big, are you a big are you a big proponent of video messaging,
2: Max, in are in the
1: I'm not, marketing approach? I'm, not, I'm I'm not I'm not I'm either. And
2: most people I talk to jump down my throat when they tell me
1: how wrong I am. LinkedIn voicemails and video, side. yeah. LinkedIn voicemails and video and emails are two two things that, like, personally, I'm not. But I think, like, our team does a good job doing them, and they do get responses um, to each his own. So that's why, you know, we, we try and make it easy for you to do kind of multi-different, you know, channels in your outreach um, when you're using um, outreach or, you know, one of our reps can can... Try LinkedIn, try videos, to see what resonates with that person on the other end. Because there are some people that swear by LinkedIn voice, but like I'm not going to sit there and listen to a voicemail from somebody that like I don't know. It's just not happening. Like there's no hook. It's 49 seconds. It's 16 seconds. I don't care what it is. Like I don't know what's in look, it. I'm not pressing play I'm on to the next thing. Like I don't know the person. Look! Look
0: at you turning into a grumpy old man.
1: I am a grumpy old man. <laughs> I am a grumpy old man. I'm chasing kids down the block now. I had two kids playing ding dong ditch at my house. I chased him down. The block and caught them. You know,
2: you'll get grouchier when you're when you're it hurts too bad to
1: chase him down. You're
0: like, I can't even. Yeah.
1: I got in the car. I got in the car. I had to keep it. I got in the car. I, I cut him off. One kid ditched the bike and ran. The other kid like froze and he's like, It wasn't us. We didn't ring your doorbell. And I didn't even say anything. So he already incriminated himself, like classic little kid. And... I, I just said to him, I was like, listen, whether it was you or somebody else, please tell them that I got a sleeping baby at home. I'd appreciate it if you don't ring the doorbell in the of the day. He said, oh, well, okay. Five hundred. times a Life lesson for but, that. Yeah, exactly. for Max, let
0: me give you the life lesson. Let me give you a life hack. And maybe you yeah. figured this out because of this. You put a note over the doorbell that says, please knock, don't ring, sleeping baby.
1: Well, you I just was going to change piece of my note. doorbell sound to a so that they scare them off. So <laughs> I love that. I love that. So they think it was a, a they think it was a shotgun cocking or something like that. They never come back. There's no ding dong anymore. I don't know how to do that, so uh, I'll put that on pause. Instead, I'll chase them down. Yeah, if they come back, I don't know. Figure it out. We we. So let me. Don't have a ring doorbell at this house, so we got to get one of those video ones. Yeah. That'll that'll. They won't ring that one. I
0: got I got one more question for you about the sales stack coming back to that, right? So. There's yeah. this cost per person for the sales stack and I've been coaching people and, and I, I assume you would agree that you don't complain about the cost of the sales stack until after you've bought your outreach, your Salesforce, your LinkedIn navigator. Like those are, those aren't even mission critical. They're just as common as a, to me is like, you look at the cost of your sales stack, it's that's required. Like, and if I'm looking to get a job and you don't have those things, I'm out of here. Like, I don't even want the job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so what do you think the average cost? And I'm just curious. And I wonder if you guys even do this, what is the average cost of a sales stack? Um,
1: I'm not sure. At we at it that way because It's it's different for every company and like CS might have some actual data on this like numbers. I haven't dug into it. I think it's about the ROI that you get from your stack. So, when, before you do anything, when you're an early stage company, you should understand your sales process, and then like know what plugs into that process really easily. You send emails, you make phone calls. Out, you know, at least I'm biased, but whatever. Outreach plugs into that. You already do that. You know, you have to store data and keep track of you know deals. You didn't have Salesforce. You do it in a spreadsheet. Okay, you need a CRM. Um, you got to go get contact info. You're not gonna have a a team of virtual assistants in the Philippines go out and collect individual information. If you can get a platform that doesn't deliver it to you automatically. So you go get contact info, you know, you use LinkedIn, whatever else. So, and then like, once you have this stuff that's hyper logical like that, the next level is okay. We're getting a little more sophisticated with our processes. Maybe you say to yourself like, okay, we're coaching our reps right now by listening to phone calls. What if there was a way we can you know save time doing this and get a lot more granular about the information all right let's look at a gong or a chorus or whatever else um, we are keeping collateral in Google drives and it's getting you know jumbled around and the, it's getting harder for the reps to find the right thing at the right time okay we need a, a seismic or showpad or a high spot at one of these companies um, we've got leads coming to the site and they're filling out forms and we should really have somebody you know managing a you know a, a, a chat okay it's time to get a drift or an intercom I think like once you understand that it's already a part of your process and that the ROI is going to be high on it, if you plug in some level of automation, then it's okay. And I think you got to measure things by ROI. You have to say, you know, okay, what, what is this going to get us? Your sales tech stack has to be a profit center, not a cost center. If it's a cost center, then you're not doing something right, or you overdid it. You didn't figure out your process first and see if you really needed to spend the money on something. And you didn't stack rank it. Like you didn't say like there, there is a good exercise of saying like, okay, I've got a hundred jelly beans and that's it. What percent of those jelly beans go to this? What percent of the jelly beans go to that? And then you like, you whittle it down and you say, okay, after my core stack, I've got 30% of my jelly beans left. How am I going to allocate those? If gong or chorus is 200 a seat, but this, that, and the other thing are, fifteen a seat? Am I gonna get high, higher ROI from you know going that direction and putting it all into, you know, one of those conversational intelligence companies. Yeah. So I, mean, I think as, that's as somebody, really cool we, the way to think about it. By ROI. By what are we gonna get out of it?
2: I, <clears throat> I I don't disagree with that. I I think I do start even a little sooner because as somebody who's been building sales teams, my first thought is I need something to attract people to the company and to the opportunity. so I I think of it similar to the facilities that like power football schools have, right? Like weight room facilities, practice facilities, training access, all this kind of stuff, right? And you go to a place like University of Texas and the facilities are amazing. You go someplace else and facilities are subpar, right? like mm, which place do I wanna do I wanna go? You know, and I and I yeah. think to Rich to Richard's point, like more and more sellers I think are going to refuse or, or just not be interested in in roles that don't have some of these kind of core tools, right? And even some and even a nice to have or two. Um so yeah. I was always trying to think, well I gotta have these things because I'm not going to be able to hire anybody without these. In addition to your, or, or, them being ROI right. positive, that's right. Yeah. Exactly,
1: yeah. that's part of it. I'm, I'm going to be able to get better talent and attract better talent and the talent that I want because I have outreach or sales loft or I have you know this, that, or the other thing, right? So I know that the the best people want to use the best platforms and um, they're not going to sit there and sit in there and work from the inbox or work from their CRM, you know, work yeah. from their system of record or their email they don't want to they don't want to work
2: they don't want to work the way we did in the in the stone age
0: richard yeah yeah exactly so yeah scott when i first met scott we we didn't even have to we find these people on linkedin or on real internet and just dialog don't track if you called them before don't worry if someone else has already called them i didn't even i didn't even have a
1: headset no No. when i took over uh Running marketing for outreach, we were like, it was five weeks from Dreamforce. We had paid for a billboard, but we didn't like, hadn't done any work on it because there was a gap between me and the previous VP in marketing by a little bit. And we're like, I'll throw something up there. Um, but I want to, I want to do something like that ties to to Dreamforce a little bit. So we, we did a, a billboard and it was kind of like, um, the first picture, icon, was, uh, what was it? It was like a rotary phone, and it was like the year the phone was invented, and then it was like a desktop computer, like old school one, and then it was the year that was invented, and then it was, um, what was it? Like the, the cloud logo, you know, like the cloud thing, and the year the cloud started, and then it was like the outreach logo. And the whole thought is like the evolution of sales. When sales yeah. first started, it was door-to-door, and then the phone was invented. So if you were a door-to-door salesman and you didn't take advantage of the phone, And like you were, you could only sell to like a couple block radius versus the person with the phone could sell to anybody in the world. And maybe you could sell better face to face. Like the person using the phone could do face to face also. So you're at a disadvantage no matter what way you cut it. Then the computer was invented. And now you can send emails. It's like the person with the computer and the phone was now at a much bigger advantage than the person that was door to door. The person with just the phone and door to door. And then the cloud, you know, and they had CRM. So like you had the person with the Rolodex on their desk versus... A cloud database. Like, of course, the person with the cloud database is going to have an advantage. And then we say the you know next logical thing was, outreach was created. And so it's like you were the 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 story we're trying to or tell or the picture we're trying to paint is, you would be at a severe different disadvantage if you didn't take advantage of this next new like lot this technology in your staff. Yeah. Now there's a lot of things that happened in between there. There's like, you know, the, the personal letter, there's LinkedIn, you know, there's all kinds of stuff like that. But It's such a I common like objection that, that everybody gets. Yeah. It's like,
2: oh, I'm good. I've been doing, I've been doing the business this way for God knows how long. And you yeah. pause and you challenge them on it. And you're like, well, hold on a second. Like you didn't used to have an iPhone. Cool. You didn't used to have a laptop, <laughs> right? Like your
1: business yeah. has right. evolved, you know? Your competitor is using all the evolved technology yeah. and you're not. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Like, who do you think going to win yeah. here? Like you can be yeah. the best do, salesperson why do you think in the world. Doing but it, I love, I love yeah. to, and I love they, to, I
2: love to ask them, uh, you know, what do you think they're doing that you're not doing? That's making them be yeah. so successful.
1: Yeah. Go to the person who thinks they're the best salesperson in the world. Like go to like a Grant Cardone, take away his private plane and his car keys and say, all right, you're back in the stone age, door to door salesman, go out, sell me. You think like, that like you think he thinks he'd even win right i mean i got i got phone i got email i got everything sell the same product he can only walk around you know let's put him in a random neighborhood in like lexington kentucky or something like that go doesn't matter how good you are at sales or how good you think you are at sales if you're neglecting you know modern technology and, and modern process it's yeah it's not going to go well so. I would do. So so we're coming
0: to the end, Max, and, and this is our favorite question to ask um, of, of everybody, which is, you know, you've been very gracious with your time. You've shared a lot of knowledge, but but how, what can Scott and I do to help you? How can we help you? How can we help Manny? How can we help Mr. Krill in it, Mark um, you know, What can we do to help you guys?
1: Just keep evangelizing. Keep doing your thing. These are great. Surf and sales is great. Podcast is great. Uh, you guys are phenomenal thought leaders in our space, so just keep doing you. We appreciate yeah, it. We appreciate. Yeah, likewise. Let's hope, let's, so let's we hope we that, need to get to that.
2: We can have surfing sales again sometime soon.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, hey, you want to know how you can help C- create a cure for COVID? There you go. Right. Got a vaccine right. in your house, Richard? Well, that's <laughs> up to you. That's on you, Richard.
0: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So that's one. that's cool. By the <laughs> way, I didn't even. I I I, I, I actually do have one. How how are your wife and, and your new daughter? You, I know you're I guess, a new dad. Yeah, she's uh, she's did, six and
1: a half months. She's crawling and sitting up. Uh, we're feeding her on like her, her little high chair thing now. Uh, right. she, we go on hikes uh, every day out here in, in Scottsdale, and uh, she's on the baby Bjorn on my chest. That that's fun. We're right. we're getting this time. I mean, it's the, probably the only silver lining of this whole thing is the amount of time I'm getting to spend with. My little girl at this I time think we in all have. life, which has yeah, been yeah. pretty incredible. Um, and how are the dogs, play the dogs? The dogs okay with it? You know. Uh Dogs are great. Dogs, are good, dogs yeah. are dogs, and baby are best friends. Um And we came out to Scottsdale. We have a little more space to move around, so it's not as not as bad as had we been uh, you know, stuck in a city somewhere. Max, so Max, 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 is
2: at the, Max is at the beautiful stage. He's got his daughter and the baby Bjorn. Yes. And I'm in the backyard watching my 12 and 10 year old boys shoot a bow and arrow into the target.
0: Right. That's where, that's
2: where we're yeah. at. They're, they're practicing for walking dead season 52. Exactly.
1: <laughs> that sounds fun. They'll come in handy in the apocalypse. Hey, right. Right. You, know, you, know, right. you got that. Not a bad skill.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know. All right, no. bud. Good to see you, man. <laughs> All right, Max. Thanks so much. Right. We really appreciate it.